Greetings and welcome to another edition of the Big D Podcast. Before I announce today's special guest, we've got a, all kinds of exciting interviews, including a seven-time Olympic swimmer medalist within the next couple of weeks. So pay attention to the Spunky Spectrum Sports YouTube page because you will see some exciting content coming. On the line this afternoon from America's fastest city, Indianapolis, Indiana, or is it, or is it a Speedway, Indiana? <laughs> I'm from so, technically Speedway. <laughs> Speedway, Indiana is a two-time Olympic marathon participant and Wazelle professional runner, Anna Weber. Anna, uh, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Uh, I'm, glad to, I'm glad to have you on the podcast today. Uh, so, uh, Anna... My first question is, uh, when did you get your first pair of running shoes? Um, so my first pair of running shoes were Adidas As We Goes, and I got them in sixth grade when I first started running. So uh, what led you to try running? Um, I actually really wanted to be a basketball player, <laughs> and um, going into sixth grade, that was the first year they were going to have cuts for the basketball team. And the basketball coach had said, anybody who goes out for the cross-country team will automatically make the first cut. And now I was obsessed with the WNBA, and I thought I was going to be this professional basketball player. So obviously, I was going to do anything possible to help my chances make the basketball team. And I went out for cross-country, and it just turned out I was really good at it. Uh, do you know how many women, do you know how many girls participated from the basketball team for that running for the cross country i think i was the only one <laughs> and let me guess didn't let me guess the other one the other gals didn't like running yeah yeah basketball and long distance running don't really go hand in hand <laughs> although nowadays every although nowadays the nba and WNBA are more about cardio than anything yeah yeah the basketball definitely has changed in the last 25 years yeah, I can remember some of those uh, great Bulls Pacers games that ended that or Pacers Heat games that uh, look more like a UFC or prize or uh, heavyweight fights than NBA games. Yeah, and Detroit Pistons. I'm a Chicago Bulls fan. I'm from Northwest Indiana originally, so <laughs> yeah. Yeah, being a Bulls fan in Indianapolis doing the. Uh, Reggie Miller, Michael Jordan days would have been fun, right? Yeah, yeah. I have a lot of respect for Reggie Miller. Even though he's not a bull, I respect him a lot. Okay, so uh, speaking of women's sports, uh, the 1999 Women's World Cup was uh, memorable. And, uh, and, uh, you remember one particular moment, right? Yeah, yeah. So that was when um, the infamous sports bra moment after winning – the World Cup, um, I can't remember who it was now, if it was Brandy Chastain or Julie Foudy, yeah, ripped off her shirt. And it's the first time we saw a woman in a sports bra on <laughs> national television. But I thought that was such a cool, inspiring, defining moment, right? Um, it really kind of opened my eyes to a lot of things and just body positivity and what it means to be a woman, female athlete. It was a really great moment in sports. Yeah, yeah. Thinking back to that game and how, and how emotional that game was, and then seeing that finish just showed 
what could happen. And uh, did you did you have any uh, running role models? Yeah, um, I really liked um, Paula Radcliffe growing up a lot. She was definitely an inspiration for me. Um, as someone who also did not have perfect form, <laughs> I really liked watching her run because she was such an inspiration for what you could do with sheer willpower and, you know, not necessarily perfect running form or all the talent in the world, which obviously extremely talented woman. Um, I really liked her a lot. I looked up to Kara Goucher um, when I was in high school, um, really looked up to Shalane Flanagan and actually Shalane's mom was really big in Indiana because she had gone to Indiana State and had been one of the first um, elite runners ever as a woman in the state. And, um, you know, she had been on the cover of Runner's World or it was Running Times at the time. Uh, so she was definitely someone I looked up to. So could you talk about some of your uh, early high school adventure, running adventures? Oh man. So I'm extremely fortunate that I grew up in the Indiana Dunes. So it's now a national park. It was not a national park at the time, but I am so lucky that all of my training basically from sixth grade on was just in sand dunes along Lake Michigan and trails. I didn't even know that when people called a bike path a trail, I thought all trails were, you know, these wide, gorgeous paths along the lake, you know, gorgeous trail systems. Um, I was extremely fortunate to have amazing running growing up. Yeah, I'm thinking like you would have been, you would have fit in well on the Florida's beaches, right? <laughs> yeah, you know, I love running in sand. People think I'm crazy, but sand is nothing for me. I'm thinking like a, supposedly sand's supposed to be bad on your feet, but some people just adapt well to sand, right? Yeah, I mean, I think if you, you know, if you're like me and you do it from the time you're 11, <laughs> it's probably a little different than if you start doing it at 40. Yeah, so uh, now uh, you went to Marquette, and uh, how about uh, your adventures there? You were four-time you were four-time Big East All Academic at Marquette. Yeah, yeah. So Marquette was a great school. Um, I didn't have the best time there as a runner. The coach that recruited me wound up leaving after my freshman year, and I had my most success as a sophomore. Um, I was all regional twice um, in cross country my sophomore and junior years. But other than that, uh, I didn't have the best college experience, unfortunately. Um, and I think that really fuels a lot of my post-collegiate um, aspirations is just trying to make up for some of the lost opportunities. You feel like maybe if the coach would have stayed, if this coach who recruited you would have stayed, could you have potentially made a national, um, potentially compete on the national stage? I do think about that a lot. Um, yeah, you know, I think the training, the coach who had recruited me had this amazing knack for developing talent. And he had taken the previous five Marquette teams to nationals, you know, five years in a row to cross country nationals. And he, um, he and I just really clicked well. 
And, um, you know, unfortunately the coach that replaced him was really still trying to figure out his own coaching philosophy. And I think we, for better or for worse, we're kind of guinea pigs. <laughs> and I'm sure he's having more success now than he did with us. But um, yeah, I do think if the coach had recruited me stayed, I would have um, succeeded more in the national level. Okay, so then after Marquette, you thought about getting a PhD from Indiana, but then turned to being a marathon runner. Yeah, so that's kind of a wild story. Um, I was really, I felt really jaded with running after college. I'd been injured a lot. I didn't really have any success. And so um, I went to IU to get a PhD in chemistry and I quit running completely. I bought a road bike, thought I was going to be a cyclist. Um, turns out I really hate cycling and um, just kind of ran for fun for a little bit, did some races here or there, um, saw that I still had a lot of potential, and a friend was going to do a marathon in Kentucky. It was a trail marathon, and about six weeks out from race day, she had to drop out and asked if I wanted to run, um, take her bib and go and, and do the race, and I said, yeah, sure, and I ran 311, and I broke the course record by like 25 minutes, and you know, this was a pretty tough trail race. And I thought like, wow, if I can run 311, like I could maybe run 245 on the roads if I really trained. And I started really chasing that goal really hard. And um, eventually I, I ran 238 in Minnesota and was offered an opportunity to be sponsored by Wazelle. So that's once in a lifetime, you know, that's the dream of every high school runner to get a sponsorship. So I wound up leaving um, IU with a master's in chemistry, and I've been with Wazelle ever since. That was 2015. Yeah, could you talk a little more about the um, Medtronic Twin City Marathon that led you to that contract with Wazelle? Yeah, um, so I had run, let's see, Chicago uh, the year before Twin Cities. I'd run 250, and then the following spring, right before um, Twin Cities, I had run Pittsburgh in 248. And I knew Twin Cities was going to be my last chance to qualify for the 2016 trials. And so I just went all in. I left grad school. Um, I did the full on run bum lifestyle. I, you know, did everything around training. I did everything I could to be the best possible runner I could be on that day in Twin Cities. I hired a sports psychologist. I hired a nutritionist. I hired a coach. I was doing absolutely everything in my power to reach that goal. And I thought, you know, at the time the trial standard was 243. And I thought, man, like I am doing all of this and I'm, I might only hit 242.59. I really thought that was like my greatest potential and um, I just had the day of my life in Twin Cities and ran 238.39. And I could not have asked for better weather, a better day. I wound up running in a pack of a couple people that pulled me through 20 miles. And that was, that was a day that I'll probably never be able to replicate again. Just all of the perfect conditions and perfect everything leading into it. Had cold, cold weather and nice and good pacemakers help any runners, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. It was it was amazing, and because of it, now you now you now you got the contract with Wazelle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It opened a lot of doors for me. So before we talk about the uh, 2016 uh, Olympic trial marathon experience in LA, uh, could you 
talk about your banner camp. Yeah. So um, Becky Spellman is a really good friend of mine. She is also sponsored by Wazelle and she's also a coach. And we met at another Wazelle sponsored event um, in 2016 and just hit it off. Like we just knew it was kind of like that scene in Step Brothers where <laughs> Will Ferrell and the other guy look at each other and say, are we best friends? Um, she just, she's my other half. And you know, we both leave, lead really similar lifestyles. We um, have really big dreams. We coach a lot of amazing women. And we just kind of noticed there was a gap for what's available to women athletes. Um, there aren't camps that really focus on women empowerment while also giving them the tools to be the best athletes they can be. So Becky and I had been thinking about this for a while and we created Banna Camp. So um, a lot of people think it's Banana Camp <laughs> when they read it, but it's B as in Becky and then Anna, Banna Camp. Um, it's in Austin, Texas, and we host about 75 to 100 women. Um, each year has a different theme. Our first year was mental game and mental toughness. Um, we've done uh, functional strength. We give, we basically get everybody together for three nights in Texas and we give seminars on running and basically the other half of the time is just having fun, spending time together, taking naps <laughs> and enjoying the gorgeous Austin, Texas weather. I could think I could think of a better vacation than all. <laughs> so uh, now we're now at the 2016 Olympic trial marathon in LA, and uh, what were your expectations into that heading into that race? Yeah, I mean, I was in the shape of my life heading into 2016 trials. Um, I truly believed I had a shot at top ten that day, and that was really what I was going for. I had run a really great tempo run at Houston four weeks before that and had done 114.03 and a half marathon, not even all out racing. So I knew I was in really, really, really good shape heading into that. Um, I was not prepared for the heat. Uh, like most runners, um, I would say 95% of us were not prepared for that. Uh, I definitely didn't respect the conditions and I went out way too hard. And I, I had a respectable day. I finished, I think, 56th, maybe. Um, and it wasn't even my slowest marathon, I don't think. I think I was like 248, 49-something. Um, I was disappointed. I really thought I had a shot at top 10. And uh, it didn't happen. Um, but that's okay. That's why we keep coming back, right? Was Elliot, was uh, the problem, was the he heat or the humidity a bigger problem in LA? Um, you know, I think both. I came from in Indiana, it was three degrees the day that I left. I don't do a lot of indoor training, so I hadn't even run on a treadmill. I don't even think that training cycle. So I just wasn't prepared. I think the real feel was around 90 degrees that day. Um, didn't help that we were racing in full sun with no shade. You know, the, the sidewalks were bubbling. The asphalt was, <laughs> was bubbling. Um, I, I, I think anything over 70 degrees was going to be a tough day for me on top of all the other conditions. 
Yeah, I'm thinking uh, I would have been like Florida weather. Been like you would have been better off running a race in Miami than in LA that day. Yeah, yeah, and you know the athletes who had trained in Florida had really great days that day, so <laughs> it's probably something to that. So uh, thinking, thinking about not just shoes, but have you ever felt at a disadvantage, whether it came to shoes or potentially knowingly or maybe unknowingly somebody uh, doping? Yeah, absolutely. The doping for sure. Um, doping is far more prevalent in our sport than I think many people realize, um, unfortunately. I think especially at the Olympic trials level where you have athletes that maybe are just on the cusp of being able to qualify. Um, doping happens a lot more than people think. It's not just at the top um, of our sport, unfortunately. As far as shoes, I am not a fan of carbon plate shoes. Um, people who follow me on social media know I race in my Adidas Adios. <laughs> um, I do feel like carbon plate shoes can give people an advantage that they wouldn't have otherwise. Um, but I can't control what other people do and I can't control what USATF or World Athletics chooses to ban or not ban, unfortunately. So um, I'm just going to stick with the shoe that I've always worn and I'll always just be able to compare my PRs to myself. I know I have tried um, a carbon plate shoe, did not work well for me. Um, actually, my feet go numb when I wear them. They're a little too aggressive for me. Um, but yeah, I wish, I, I wish that USATF and World Athletics would um, maybe consider the impact a little bit more on what shoes and um, kind of how it's becoming a sport of haves and have nots. Yeah, thinking about it when I, after changing shoes a year and a half or so ago, then I got, plus ago, then I got, I got a stress fracture and I'm like, oh no. Yeah, it's really interesting. If you look at the incidence of lower leg injuries since carbon plate shoes have come out, you'll notice, especially among sponsored athletes um, who are wearing specific brands, you'll see a lot more Achilles injuries, a lot more metatarsal stress fractures, um, a lot more lower leg injuries. And um, it's not really something I want to mess with. Yeah, walk with yeah, better to walk with with what, what helps you not just stay healthy, but stay productive. So um, now the now you're at the uh, 2020 Olympic trial marathon in Atlanta and uh, what were you, and uh, how was uh, the 2020 preparation comp similar or different than 16? 2020 was tough. Um, that full, that four year cycle was really hard for me. I had a lot of setbacks basically from 20 late 2017 on um i had about a year and a half of health problems where we didn't really know what was going on turned out we had black mold in our home and that was causing a lot of issues for me um then once that cleared i wound up with really severe anemia and so that can you know take a toll on your ability to race and train um it really just seemed like setback after setback and then my coach changed my training quite a bit in the year leading up to 2020 trials. And 
honestly, I just showed up to the trials in Atlanta so burned out. I actually think I may have had COVID. I don't have, I can't say that definitively. I believe I might've had COVID at the trials and that was kind of just par for the course at that point. Um, just kind of felt like everything that could have gone wrong in those four years did, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, and so, uh, and the Atlanta Hills didn't necessarily help either. I mean, what, what would have been holding the LA Heat Atlanta Hills? I would have rather raced in LA in the Heat, to be honest. <laughs> that was a very tough course. I, can, I mean, uh, I can't think think of many harder marathon courses I've ever seen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was hard. Um, and the wind did not help that day. It was so cold and windy. I, th I think more than the temperature, because temperature was, what, 45, 50 degrees yeah. running, but the wind and the hills just made the course so difficult. I mean, if you tried the lead, you were, uh, you were basically breaking the draft. Yeah, 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 that was probably my least favorite race ever. <laughs> so were you ultimately surprised by the uh, top three uh, female, women, fin top three uh, finishers? Um, I knew Alephine would be in it. I knew that for sure. Alephine is so strong, such a great runner, so deserving too. Um, she's by far one of my favorite competitors. Um, I thought it was going to be a toss-up. I really thought Des would have, would be in there, um, especially on those hills. She's such a tough person. You know, I think she actually had COVID at the trials. I think she's come out and said. So, you know, just for her to put in a top four finish under those conditions is pretty incredible. Um, other than that, you know, I thought it was going to be a toss-up between quite a few athletes. I thought Jordan Hesse would be in the mix. I thought Molly Huddle for sure would be in the mix. Um, you know, Sally Capiego is such a strong athlete. Molly Seidel, obviously super strong as well. Um, but the only one that I really thought for sure would be there was Alephine. And then I thought, you know, you had 10 to 12 athletes that would be really fighting for the number two and number three spot. And it was, and it would be more dependent on who was on a good day and who was on a not so good day. Yeah, yeah, that course was going to destroy you if you had any weaknesses at all. Yeah. So since the COVID pandemic really came in March, how has changed for you? Yeah. Um. So after the trials, I really took a lot of time off. I did three weeks of absolutely nothing. I don't even think I left my couch for three weeks and that was really needed. Um, I actually was injured for the majority of the summer, unfortunately. I don't know if something happened on the course or what, but I actually, I dropped at 16 miles and I had a hamstring injury uh, for a really long time. Um, I didn't really start training seriously again until maybe August, and I did a really fun um, 25K trail race in Virginia, um, and that was fun just to kind of like get into the swing of racing again. I wasn't sure that I was going to run another marathon ever again, <laughs> um, but in January, I literally woke up one day and said, it's time. So. I've been training now for the last couple months for a marathon in Indianapolis, the Carmel Marathon. 
And I'm, I'm really glad that I took basically all of 2020 really low key off for the most part. Um, cause I'm, I'm coming back a lot stronger, uh, mentally and physically. And I'm, I'm really happy to see that, but I really needed to give myself time to just decide when it was the right time to train hard. Yeah, maybe 2020 may have been a blessing in disguise. Not just recharge the battery, but give yourself a physical and maybe more so a mental break, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, I've been training really hard since I was 11. I'll be 33 in April. Um, so that's 23 or 22 years of, you know, competitive running. And sometimes you need a break to reset and recharge. And it was kind of nice to have a, you know, enforced break. And so usually most mountain, most um, marathon runners train in altitude, well, whether it's in uh, Flagstaff, Colorado, one of those mountain areas. Uh, are there any advantages to training on Indy's hills? Oh, Indy doesn't have a lot of hills, unfortunately. But um, yeah, you know, I think what we do have is humidity. You know, in the summer, we get extremely humid weather we can go months on end where the humidity is 99%. And, you know, that's considered poor man's altitude. And I, you know, I, I've done a stint at Flagstaff and I will say, I think I was just as prepared from running in the humidity as I was from spending a month in Flagstaff. Yeah, but the one thing you don't get, the one thing you don't get in my area is snow. I mean, uh, what, <laughs> you know, what's the coldest weather you've ever gone for run? Oh, um, probably I've definitely been in negative 20 degrees before. Um, I don't have a treadmill and I try to avoid the treadmill as much as possible. So I'm willing to run in just about anything. Yeah. This picture that you emailed showed me, of, showed me a picture of yourself running with snow on the road. Yeah, yeah, that was a track workout on Tuesday, actually. My training partner and I shoveled the track for an hour and then did 16 400s. <laughs> yeah, four miles, four snowy, what, four snowy miles, right? Yeah, yeah, and then I had snow on Thursday for my mile repeats. <laughs> yeah, do you imagine what a, what a marathon in snow would be? Oh my gosh, no. Fortunately, I've never had to deal with that. <laughs> yeah, the 2024 marathon trials will be in snow, right? <laughs> well, first if that happens, I'll be prepared. <laughs> first heat, then wind and hills, now snow. You know, that wouldn't surprise me if that happens. <laughs> so, um, is there any chance you would... You would potentially run a 10k in Eugene or you strictly road racing um at this point just road racing I I would have had to be training pretty hard from probably August on for me to have a chance at that um the 10k standard's pretty quick <laughs> and I'm just really getting back into marathon shape right now yeah, it's so, I don't know if you saw the big race in uh, L.A. this past Saturday when, uh, what, uh, eight, what, seven or eight runners were trying to break the Olympic standard of, what is it, 31, I think it's 31.25, my memory is correct, Yeah, right? that sounds right. 
either 3115 or 3125 not 100 sure either but it will but uh, that was a that was weird how that race turned into a sprint affair what yeah yeah, no, that 10K standard, I would love to be able to run. Um, I think I, I that is not something in my wheelhouse currently. <laughs> maybe, if it, maybe if it was like 30, maybe if it was like 35 minutes, you could do it. <laughs> yeah, my my road 10K PR is 34.29, I think. <laughs> yeah, my my 5K PR is a 26.40, and I, I don't think a 10K is in my future. These big... These big poles can only do five, not ten. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. Yeah. So, uh, do you think uh, Ali, Molly, or Sally could potentially threaten the other top marathoners if Tokyo can successfully host uh, this year's Olympics? Yeah, you know, I'm really rooting for Alephine, um, especially being only a few weeks postpartum. Um, that's amazing. And I'm, I'm really hoping that she has full recovery and is able to put in some good training because I think Elephine for sure. Um, she's a wild card, you know, Sally Capiego and Molly. Yeah. I mean, I think they've shown that they're among some of the best marathoners out there. Um, it'll be really, really interesting to see what happens. Yeah, Molly ran. Molly ran pretty well in London. Thinking back to 2020, I couldn't think. Of, I mean, yeah, Sarah Hall ran great in London and almost broke Dina Castor's American record in the marathon project. But Molly Seidel was great in Atlanta and yeah, just as strong in London. I mean, yeah, yeah, Molly's really good at running well when it counts. I always like the clutch athletes, right? So. How would it feel to make an Olympic marathon team? Yeah, you know, um, I think if I could choose what type of national team I could be on, it would actually be world cross country. That would be, yeah, that would be my, like, that'd be my Olympic marathon team. Maybe put, maybe ask the IOC for cross country at the 2024 or 28 Olympics, right? I wish, I wish that would happen. Um, I had really wanted to qualify. I did the USA cross country championships in 2020, uh, really hoping to qualify for the Pan Am games, which were held the same day as the Olympic trials in the marathon. And had that happened, I would have chosen the Pan Am games. The marathon's great. And it's obviously like probably my best event, but man there's something about cross country that just speaks straight to my soul <laughs> and plus then those and plus you you wouldn't have to train train on the road you can train right in your backyard on the the sand and hills yeah exactly yeah i in a typical 100 mile week if i'm doing marathon training i'm spending about 70 of those miles on trails and soft surfaces and that's perfect for me yeah, so uh, you solely run, or do you, do you mix in a little weight or cross training? Yeah, so um, I try to keep the same schedule every day. So every day I'm doing strength training or core. Um, I'm doing yoga. I'm doing lots of foam rolling and some meditation. And I don't do a lot of cross training uh, just because my mileage is so high that I don't feel like I need any extra cardio. But I do think the yoga and the strength training is really important. 
yeah, not just the low body strength, but that flexibility, especially yeah. if you're running, especially if you're running 15, 20, 25 hours in training. Yeah, yeah, mobility is super important, and that's a big focus for me right now. So my last question is uh, for a runner, we are eating is a big habit before races. So what's what are your meals the night before race and the morning of one? Yeah, the night before a race, I always try to have um, rice with salmon and sweet potato and maybe asparagus or some, you know, easy green. If I can't do that, um, I always go for a chipotle bowl. And then the morning of, I always do oatmeal with um, a cup of green tea, a banana, and peanut butter. Everybody likes oatmeal before races. Why is it? Ah, uh, you know, it just it keeps you full. There's nothing worse than being on the starting line and feeling hungry. And then, and then my problem, my problem before race is that I get a side stretch, and then all of a sudden, like a mile in a race, I feel like I'm my side is hurting because I eat too. I eat too much. <laughs> Uh, I'm very fortunate. I have a bottomless pit of a stomach, so I can eat anything and go for a run. My family laughs at me because I can eat liver sausage and then go for a run. Oh, wow. <laughs> well, I'm taking you on the next set. I'm taking you when Fear Factor reboots. <laughs> so uh, thank you for hopping on the uh, Big D podcast, Anna, and we will wish you all the best in your future ma future running endeavors, right? Thank you so much for having me. This was a lot of fun. Uh, it was a lot of fun interviewing you. Thanks.